0: Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
3: Hi, this is Marion Bartoli.
4: I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Winka I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to Tennis Podcast. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm not sure whether it's possible to ramp it up in Roland Garros Relived, but if it is, that's what we're doing today, because we are featuring the 1992 French Open final between Monica Sellers and Steffi Graf, which I always remember 28 years on as being one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. It's something that meant an awful lot to me as a teenager. It was one of the sorts of matches that made me fall in love with the sport and want to work in it for a living. And... I'm just thrilled to say, 28 years on, having just watched it with Catherine Whitaker and Matt Roberts here on the Tennis Podcast, it did not let me down at all. I've absolutely loved the last few hours of tennis watching that I've just done. And uh, Catherine and Matt are here to relive it all with us. We've got Chris Clary from the New York Times to talk to about it. We've got Heinz Guntart, former coach of Steffi Graf, who was in the box that day to talk to as well. But our... Immediate reaction is what, Catherine?
5: Well, every message that you sent to the WhatsApp group while you were watching the match was in caps. Uh, And uh, I now understand (laughs) why. I don't know whether it's possible to have recency bias about a match that took place 28 years ago. Um, But it's one of the best matches I've ever seen. Um, And yeah, that could be a bit of recency bias because I'm I'm high from finishing watching it just just minutes ago, but I'm, I'm open-mouthed at the drama, the quality and the, the grit of what I've just watched.
1: Did it live up to your expectations, Matt, based on the hype that I'd uh, given about it over the last couple of years? Sure did. And, yeah, those expectations were about as high
6: as they can get. Um, I'm not sure what's, what's more nerve-wracking, going back to watch a match... That you thought at the time was really good, and hoping that that lives up to expectations, or going back to watch a match that you've never seen and hoping it's really good. I think both those things are a little nerve wracking. But yeah, I mean, just the just the back and forth in that final set, especially between two all time greats in their prime, with and it, just a crowd that was hanging on every shot of every rally. Um, so much on the line and kind of it was just all about the tennis they didn't at that stage in their rivalry there was there was there was nothing else apart from the tennis it was just your game against mine whose is better and you know it goes goes right to the end of that third set and uh, until the very last moment you have no idea who's going to win just just a thrilling thrilling match that uh, stands the test of time for sure
1: So let's set the scene a little first, shall we? 1992, the Maastricht Treaty was signed, founding the EU. Euro Disney opened in Paris. South Africans voted for political reform to end apartheid. And Miley Cyrus, Selena (laughs) Gomez and Karolina Pliskova, stroke Christina Pliskova, were born.
5: I think Karolina Pliskova and... Christina Pliskova were born. <laughs> That's what I meant. Not, not sort of e- either or. I-, <laughs> I
6: really did not see Miley Cyrus coming there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so those things happened. Um, Monica Seles at the time was 18 years of age, trying to win a third French Open title in a row and a sixth Grand Slam singles title overall. She'd won five Grand Slams in a row that she'd played. Or was She was about to, wasn't she? she, she she'd she won four coming in and she was trying to win her fifth, having been injured for Wimbledon uh, the previous year. Steffi Graf was 22 and tried to win her first French Open for four years and her 11th Grand Slam title overall. Remember that she ended up on 22. So they were the world's number one and two players, and that's how it was staged in terms of its hype and setup the next day Jim Courier would play against Petter Korda and that was really a bit of an afterthought compared to the hype that that preceded this particular contest between these two women it was it was similar I'm trying to work out what it was similar to who who were we watching recently it was it was Navratilova and Evert who who came into the, that final as as the overwhelming talked about players and You know, you you see that from time to time. John McEnroe, who'd won 11 out of 12 matches against the one- and two-ranked player players in the world, and he ended up playing Lendl. This this was on that level and maybe even a little bit more because these two players just completely dominated women's tennis at that time. And meeting in the final, you you just had to be on the sofa. You had to be listening to it if you were out and about. And there were 17,000 people in the stadium, the atmosphere you described there Matt it was um it was like a big heavyweight title fight between the two best in the world and yet for the first set it was pretty one-sided
6: it was yeah Monica Seles I think ran out to a three-love lead and just get the sense at that time how interesting it was because for I mean for years people were having to adapt to Steffi Graf she had taken over women's tennis and then suddenly Selish comes along and it's Graf who's having to adapt to her and find answers in her game and yeah for the for the first set she didn't really have them um you're just struck by by the crisp hitting of Selesh standing right on the baseline with double-handed on both sides such power you're not personally when I watch her I have no idea whether she's going to hit the ball cross court or down the line I just can't imagine how difficult that would have been to play against, the disguise she had on her shots. Um, but yeah, then like all, like all great champions do, Graf did figure out a way and manages to sort of get a foot in the match in the second set. And then, and then it becomes a classic with both of them playing so well. But yeah, to begin with, selesh is, is really dominating.
1: Bud Collins was saying uh, during the commentary that Sellis plays double Chrissy both sides because Chris (laughs) Evert was in the commentary box with her and she was advocating, and it was really fascinating, wasn't it, to to, to pick the brains of Chris Evert a little bit during that commentary. She was advocating that Graf has got to change her game because otherwise she will lose. It's as simple as that. Her her game was not going to get it done.
5: Yeah, she was advocating that pre-match, wasn't she? I mean... Exactly as you'd expect her her reads on on the match were 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 bang on throughout i as Matt was describing that that first set in which Monica Sellers was completely dominant and and ended up forcing graf to to think on her feet out there sort of tactically and technically I couldn't quite believe that that was the same player that we'd watched in Rome relived a couple of weeks ago. Um, from the, the Rome final of 90, 1992 against Gabriella Sabatini, which was a couple of weeks prior to to what we've just uh, watched in the French Open final, it looked like a different player to me. Now I know Sabatini is a completely different matchup, and she did. Uh, Deny Selish rhythm and 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 any kind of predictability in in the match and and maybe that turned out maybe that was her kryptonite but it seemed like her her serve had about twenty miles per hour more on it in this uh, French Open she seemed so much quicker and lighter on her feet maybe she was exhausted in Rome I I I don't know obviously we only watched that that one match but. It looked like a completely different prospect to me, the Monica Seles that we we watched today. I mean, her movement didn't look like a huge weakness in her game. Her serve didn't look like a huge weakness. Obviously, it, 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 it wasn't what Steffi Graf's serve was, which was a huge weapon, but it was absolutely by no means a liability. And just her refusal to give any ground on the baseline, she just wouldn't be pushed back. She would just drill... Half-volleyed ground strokes at full pelt relentlessly and not miss. It was uh, unreal to watch, completely unreal.
1: It's actually hard to think of anybody who, before or since, that I've seen do it like that. As, the, as though I, I described it as like she's got two forehands, mm. and you, you you don't know you don't know which one's which. You don't know what a forehand is and, until you see a serve left-handed, or to take the left the, the other hand off when she's stretched out wide. Such was her her refusal to, as you say, give any ground at all, and yet she would be pinpoint accurate, like Djokovic is with his deep ground strokes. But she also had angles too. I mean. Graf, it seemed to me because in the second set after after a set i th- i was watching it last night thinking oh this is good but this isn't what i remember and then suddenly in the second set we we decided we'll, we'll watch we'll watch the second set and then we'll watch the rest of it all together this morning uh, the third set which is what we did there was suddenly a moment where the every rally felt like a saga of its own and but it felt like in order to compete graph was having to Put her foot to the ground on the accelerator and almost play beyond her her limits continuously in order to compete with Monica Seles. That's how she got it that close in the end.
6: What you were saying about um, Seles being double handed on both sides I've and how difficult that is, I have often wondered in my head. Why have more players not been influenced by Monica Seles, and why have we not seen more double-handed players on both sides? I think Marion Bartoli sp- spoke about how Seles was an influence for her, but there haven't been many others. But I guess that's—I guess it's because, I mean, it is unorthodox, and it's so hard to do what what she was doing out there. I think the fact that there haven't been others points and demonstrates just how difficult it was what um, what Seles was doing out on that court. Um, but yeah. In terms of Graf, the thing that always strikes me when I watch Steffi Graf is her slice backhand because often a slice is a almost a safety valve, if you like, in a player's game. It's a shot that they hit maybe when they're not in position or to gain a bit of time in the rally. But Graf knifes the slice just centimetres over the net. And every time she hits it, I'm holding my breath thinking, oh my goodness, she's going she's gonna to miss that. It's going to go in the net. And it just barely goes off the court. And Monica Seles is forced to kind of scoop the ball up, which she does incredibly well. Um, so it was, it's just one of those, it's just another example of how, of their contrast in styles. I think all the matches we've watched so far, the first thing you notice is the contrast of styles. And this one was perhaps a little more, subtle because they're both uh, baseliners but it's still there in their games and it just makes it such a compelling watch and it also gives room for a player to make a comeback because it's not like they only have one style of play that they can play Steffi Graf's got ability in her game to mix it up and you always felt like a comeback was possible even even when Seles was playing so well because of how much Graf's got in her game as well.
1: Mm. She they they talked in the commentary about her Celis's fearlessness in terms of shot making uh, and in the previous round she'd played Sabatini who we'd talked about beating her in Rome she'd played her in the semis here and she was two four down in the decider and something Bud Collins said made me made me shudder he said that relating Monica Sellis' press conference she'd said I don't care it's Wimbledon in a couple of weeks. The tournament will, will be played next year. I just need to go for it. I just need to hit. Now, of course, as we know, she wouldn't play the tournament a year later because of that dreadful stabbing incident that she endured in April the following year. But that was her mindset as a player back then. And you saw it in the, the post-match interview as well. She was so single-minded about what she needed to do. and I, And I... When you see them side by side, Graf looks like the athlete of the two. She was always talked about as the, the, the woman that could have done eight hundred meters in the Olympics. She was talked about as the big forehand and and just looked the, the more complete, the stronger athlete, and yet she's getting for the most part, if they play their normal games, she's getting bullied. Celis so is just knocking her about. And uh I I find I find it absolutely intoxicating to watch Monica sellers play tennis back then I she, she looks as close to unbeatable in that final and in the the final they then played in the Australian Open um, eight months later as, as as you could get if Steffi Graf at a best can't beat that I'm not sure anybody could
5: yeah it's funny there are comparisons you know not not in not in game styles or in sadly in the longevity of, of- of the rivalry because of the the tragedy of what transpired with uh, with monica Seles in 1993 but there are comparisons rivalry wise in the embryonic stages with navratilova and Evert because one of the things that um matt and i found while researching for for um the interview i did with uh, with chris Evert was the amount of discussion there was at the time pre over, when Everett was just dominating the tour, the the narrative was about Everett being too good. The talent gap was a, uh, a phrase that was widely used, which is kind of a, a backhanded compliment. You're saying you're really good, but also everyone else is really rubbish. Well, um,
1: Everett refuted, wasn't it? But, but I mean, pol- out of politeness as much as anything, though, I'm sure, to some degree.
5: Well, <laughs> yes I mean there's a lot going on with the with with that term and also with with Chris Everett's response to it you can hear it all in the in the interview in the full interview we'll be putting out but anyway there was this feeling that she was waiting for a rival to to come along she was just there lapping up all of the grand slams but it was just a matter of time before somebody came along and took on that mantle and it 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 looks the same with, with Graft looking back, doesn't it? She was so completely dominant. It had been four years before that she won that Golden Slam. In 1988, she was a teenager when she did that. Um, and, you know, that's goes without saying that that's a level of dominance that nobody in the sport, men's or women's, has ever achieved before. She needed somebody to come along. And, boy, did they have to be... Good to even compete with it, let alone reach the stage where they could beat Steffi Graf at her best, which is which is where Monica Selish was. She could beat Steffi playing her best,
6: and there was a sense of disbelief I thought with the commentary team that Selish was doing this because for so long they 'd been used to Steffi Graf, as you said, David, being the physical prowess, being the the greatest athlete they 'd ever seen, probably. And yet here, come, and here comes along Selesh and she's matching her deep in the third set. And the, and the commentary was all, all going on about how tired Selesh must be. Okay, she'd had, She had a couple of physical matches in the lead up to the final, which Steffi Graf hadn't. And it was kind of logical that Selesh would be tired because no one's as good an athlete as Graf in their minds. And yet... Selesh looked tired but it didn't affect her play at all in the rally she was still playing with the same pace on her shots the same power and I think the only explanation they can come up the commentary team could come up with was well she's got a tire eventually and because everything's telling you that should be the case but it just wasn't it was it was superhuman how good she was.
5: It was Andy Murray like, wasn't it? Mm. Looking like she's she's about to to keel over in between the points, but then as soon as she sets herself to to serve or to return, she just digs into something, digs into something else. And to be which fair, a different plane.
6: And to be fair, Selis did admit that she was tired afterwards, so I think people were right to speculate that. But I think they had underestimated her ability to play through it and still give her absolute best in those rallies.
3: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
1: Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners eighteen free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for eighteen free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. To put it into perspective why this match was so special, it took six championship points for for Sellis to get the job done. She was 5-3 ahead. She had match points at that point. And Graf dug in. I think we saw the the, the one or two little wobbles from from Sellis around that point, just showing she was human in terms of nerves at that point. And then Graf started to really hit out and, uh, and try to just grab it from her. She got back level, forced it into the... The, the high numbers of games, because, of course, there was no tie-break at that point, and eventually it was Celeste who won it 10-8 in that third set. And it was just... I remember watching it at the time and feeling really quite emotional just about the how much they'd put out there and the level of the quality. It was You know when you're always wishing for two players to play their best at the same time? And there were, there were quite a lot of that second and third sets when they were both at their best at the same time. And what more can you ask from a tennis match? Full crowd, everything on the line, grand slam at stake, one and two in the world, playing their best.
5: And it's often, even with two great players, impossible for for opponents to play their best at the same time because so, so much... So often about playing one's best is about denying your opponent the ability to play their best. So it is. It feels like a bit of a unicorn um, to for two players to be playing at their absolute peak on a sustained basis. Let alone, you know, in in the finale match of a tournament. I mean, it's it's just an absolute treasure, a, a real treasure. I. Yeah, a great day for hair ornaments as well. <laughs>
1: oh
5: yeah, uh, two two excellent scrunchies. Um, Monica Sellers had scrunchie hairband and clips going on. It was it was. Excellent. I hadn't noticed any of that.
1: I, I had noticed she changed her hair colour from uh, two weeks previously when she'd played the Rome final. She'd gone from blonde to black hair.
5: Yeah, well, Chris Everett told a story about that, didn't she, in the commentary? She said that she'd, she'd gone to a hairdresser in Paris and said, I'd like something, I think it was in Paris, I'd like to go back to my natural hair colour, please. And actually he got it wrong and she ended up far darker than she wanted <laughs> to be. They talked a lot. I mean, I, I, I've got no right to, I, I've just talked about hair or hair ornaments, but they talked a lot about Monica Selish's hair uh, in the build-up to that final they'd created a a graphic about her hair
1: (laughs) (laughs) i've not seen many of those before um i I have i i would also reference like to reference the the aftermatch speeches which unfortunately wasn't on the coverage that we've just seen but and i'd have to go back and watch it in order to remember it word for word but i remember steffi graf getting tearful in the on-court speech which and she is a player didn't really show much emotion to people and the crowd giving her a standing ovation and chanting her name and she just saying i've never 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 had a crowd like this before and it was really moving to to watch it
5: evidently by 1992 somewhere in between 89 and 92 they'd introduced the podium for trophy presentations which was a the the worst development in french open history (laughs) in my view
1: yeah we missed the old uh stairway up up in the stands uh you know to you what, just you just crowd between this little gangway and we'll <laughs> yeah. we'll give you the trophies How about and, that? and we'll then make you, can... you
5: stand so close together that you're actually touching
1: yeah we'll make it as uncomfortable you, as we possibly can or
5: you runner up you're gonna have to stand with a winner's trophy sort of in your face but <laughs> you, you're not allowed to touch it
1: yeah um Let's uh let's get a view from somebody who was covering that tournament who was there at the time. Chris Clary from the New York Times was reporting on his second French Open, and he knew that he was watching something very special.
2: That certainly is one on my short list of of the best tennis matches I've ever I've ever watched in terms of just the the billing going in, the level of play, the way the third set went was a ten eight, the way it played out. And just uh you know, Steffi was seemed so unbeatable in the late eighties. And then Monica emerged, force of nature. And, you know, we everybody watched The Last Dance recently. <laughs> I mean for me, Monica's on the short list as well of of great competitors of that phase of her career. She was just a a tigress out there. She just loved the idea of playing big points, loved the combat, and feared nobody. Certainly didn't fear Steffi. And I just and I went back and rewatched a good chunk of that match um, ahead of our phone call today, actually. And um, it's it's just uh, fascinating to see the athleticism from Steffi, but the fact that Monica can really attack from anywhere is ultimately what makes that slim difference. I mean, Steffi has a fantastic slice backhand, can do so much with it, but Monica could just take the ball off pretty much in any level of, of bounce and just damage you with it, and just relentlessly. And if she made a mistake, she would just reboot, turn around kind of hurry her way back to the baseline and then play the next point with the same kind of intensity it was just the in the moment focus is what made her special aside from the ball striking talent and all that but i think the, that was what was her cardinal trait and, and it it was extraordinary to watch and to be able to to be able to derail graph in her physical prime like that um you had to be something extraordinary and monica was and that, and that match was i think the best of their matches definitely
1: well Chris Clary's uh, a journalist whose version of events I think I would trust pretty much ahead of anybody's and we've had him many times on the tennis podcast it's always a pleasure to talk to him because he just manages to find the words that, that I can't find sometimes to sum up how something really was and yeah if he rates that match and if he rates what Monica Sellers brought to the table, then I think that pretty much says everything. But we can also hear from Heinz Guntart, a man who was in the corner of Steffi Graf for seven years of her career, from just before that final in 1992, all the way through to her retirement in 1999. And I asked Heinz why Monica Sellers caused Graf so many problems.
4: Monica had a very good double-hander that she could uh, hit cross-court kind of short so she was able to find uh, Steffi's back and uh, more easily than most other players. Because uh, if your cross is not that good, Steffi was so quick to go around and um, hit that forehand. And it was much more difficult for Steffi against Monica. But I felt, um, you know, on, on clay, that's one thing, especially at the French Open, when it's really dry, at times uh, the bounce is actually quite high with the balls. Um, let's see how that's going to be on grass, where the ball is not going to come up at all. Uh, I felt at the time it would be much easier for Steffi to get around the back against Monica. and Her game would uh, fit much better against Monica on grass than it was uh, on clay.
1: Do you think that Steffi was was bothered by Monica's ability compared to what the other tasks, the other threats she she'd faced in the past?
4: Absolutely, because Monica was the only player at the time that was able to beat Steffi, even when Steffi played well. Against others, she could lose, but she would beat herself more or less. But Monica's game um, was a good fit for Monica against Steffi because of that one shot, the short cross court. Even if she was looping it, um, if the ball would come with no pace to Steffi's back end, Steffi couldn't really create much off it, and so that that was a problem, especially on surfaces where the ball bounces pretty high.
1: Yeah, so you get a sense for just how difficult it was to coach against Monica Sellers. How difficult, how difficult it was for players to beat Monica Sellers if she was playing at her very best. And so, how tragic that her career would be curtailed the way it was, or at least interrupted for two and a half years. Ten grand slams Monica Seles would miss because she won the Australian Open, beating Graf in the final at the start of 1993, came from a set down. It was quite a similar match to the one that we've just witnessed. Really close. Graf played very well. Seles just too good for her. Um, There was the one match that Graf managed to win at Wimbledon, the year before winning comfortably because she was so much better on grass but on the hard courts and on the clay Celis was way way too good and you sense I sense anyway that eventually she'd have probably found a way on grass as well she was that good and then on April the 30th 1993 she was stabbed in the back while playing a tennis match in Germany and she was stabbed by a tennis fan in the crowd. Who was claiming to be a fan of Steffi Graf and wanting to help Graf get back to world number one? And the physical injuries eventually healed. They were they were not insubstantial. They were serious, but she she recovered relatively quickly. But she missed two and a half years of her career. You can understand why. I mean, it was just horrendous what what we witnessed at that time. Graf. Meanwhile, went on to win the next four Grand Slam tournaments and to dominate again. So, once again, let's bring in Chris Clary from the New York Times. Ask for his thoughts on that period in tennis history.
2: It was tragic. I mean, I think like I've avoided that word over the years, but it, it was in the sense that it just it just shattered the bubble of, around her that she had every right to be able to live in. <laughs> you know, she had built up this uh, this way of being with her father as her coach and and her game and everything else. And I think that, that moment just uh, hit her, hit her so hard. I, I probably would hit anybody hard, but maybe Monica with her. And she's talked about it now, some of the anxiety things she's had to go through in her life. Maybe she was particularly vulnerable to the after effects, something like that. Everybody would have been affected in some major way by that, but it really took, took the wind out of her sails. And, and it's, and it's really tough for the game because I think she was, she would have been one of the greatest, greatest champions. And I, I always make sure to include her whenever I talk about them because I feel like, because of what she showed in her teens and until that moment, there's no doubt that she was that kind of a champion. She had that mentality. And I, you know, I'm not big on always going back and, and resurfacing things. And, but every, you know, every year, April 30th, it used to be an article. Now it's a tweet, whatever it is. I think it's something we should think about and look back on because it was a something that never should happen again. And, um, and it was, it was a rivalry that, could have been just unbelievably extraordinary and maybe taking women's tennis to heights that hadn't been in before. And it got cut short and it all then because of the way it got cut short, because it was such a great rivalry in a lot of ways. It was almost, it was almost, uh, that was, that was the tough thing to see. It was because Monica had been so good and handled moments so well, and it had derailed graph. That's why the rivalry was cut short artificially by somebody from the outside
1: yeah it's it's hard to 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 accept isn't it that he got his he got his way in the end
2: yeah yeah it did and it put everybody in an awkward position and obviously aside from the incredible scare to your well-being and health but it just it again there's this it felt like there was a cloud over women's tennis for a long time after that um and also you know stuff he didn't ask him to do anything it's just completely out of her control and uh she was always a a relatively guarded and reserved person anyway, at least in a, in a public setting, quite different, you know, one-on-one or whatever else. But it made it tough on her too because you, know, you can't look at her career the same way, even though she had the phenomenal success and the 22 slams and singles and and all that stuff going on. But if Monica had been at her peak, uh, those numbers would have been different. There's no, no question about that.
1: Catherine, it's quite hard to listen to, isn't it? It's quite hard to watch the match that we've witnessed this morning and see... The very best of tennis. The the tennis that we... We we will never know for sure, but it felt like we were we were going to witness for the best part of a decade. The, a player that I thought was going to end up with more grand slams than anybody. If she could beat Steffi Graf the way she was beating her in Paris and in Melbourne, then who's going to stop her? Some people may disagree, but that's how it felt to me. And... Yeah, on 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 a human level you you feel for Monica Seles what she went through and, and the aftermath. I mean, she's written an autobiography and and talked about her struggles in life since then and it's 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 hard to to see, isn't it? It's hard to talk about and yet it, it needs to be talked about.
5: Yeah, as we've uh, as we've mentioned when looking back on the 92 92- French final, she was a player defined by fearlessness and clarity of thought and purpose while playing tennis. And, you know, Monica Seles was one of the players I discussed with Mary Carillo the other day and a turn of phrase she uses really haunted me. She said she ended up um, uh, being defined by fear. She ended up a, a fearful person and a, and a fearful tennis player as which is hugely understandable. But for, for that player that we were just watching to end up, you know, a year or so later defined by fear um, is is just a desperately sad thought. Um, I I met Monica Seles once at a Champions Tour event uh, in Kanoka Heist in Belgium a few years ago. Because um, she's not very involved in in tennis at all. Doesn't play doesn't play many exhibitions. She's mostly a, a motivational speaker. Um, I think she she she's written a number of books and speaks a lot at, at events around the states. But she uh, she came to play a uh, a mixed doubles exhibition match. Kim Clijsters was involved as well, um, and a number of male players from the Champions Tour. And I was really excited about meeting her and and sort of getting a feel for for what she was like um I was of course aware of what had happened in 1993 I remember being sort of dimly aware of it at the time but without any proper understanding of what happened and and I remember that that she came back and went on to to win a slam after her comeback just the one I think um the Australian Open in 96 but hey, that's a really successful comeback. So in my mind, I thought, this awful thing happened. And it must have been awful, but she somehow overcame um, and ended up sort of triumphing through disaster. um, Which is, of course, an extremely naive, simplistic way of way of looking at it. Um, But, you know, that was that was kind of my, my preconception. And, I mean she was a, a lovely woman and extraordinary in so many ways. She was, really was lovely, but she was fearful. She was she was frail in a lot of ways. She she was surrounded by security the whole time. I remember she she had said to the tournament when she agreed to play that that she would need security and they said absolutely we will we will arrange that for you. They'll be posted outside your hotel room. She said no, it has to be my own. It has to be the people I know and the people I trust. Um, and I found it haunting, and um, uh, yeah, a, a real a real jolt actually to 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 see and to experience that. And yeah, I mean, it was it was incredibly naive of me to just sort of look at the bare facts and and think that was the case but you know these are extraordinary people aren't they i'm 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 far too often guilty of thinking that these people are superhumans super and deal with things in a in a way that is beyond mere humanity um, but pff, it really stuck with me that experience
1: we were talking a little earlier just before we started recording about how if we end up doing some sort of relived episode for the Australian Open, we would have to cover when Monica Seles won the one and only Grand Slam title that she managed to win after being stabbed. I mean, that that in itself is a statistic that really gets me that she won eight Grand Slam titles as a teenager and, and, and then had two and a half years out of the game and won one more. But what a triumph, Matt, that she managed to win one more.
6: Absolutely, and the fact that I think in her first slam back was the U.S. Open in '95, and she lost to Graf in the final, um, which would also be a, another interesting rewatch. And just just to delve into what people were saying at the time and how they were framing that rivalry again, because just to just to look at this rivalry, Graf and Selesch, the way we were talking about Ever and Navratilova being bound together in history because of what they shared on a tennis court and their impact on the sport. Well, Graf and Selesh are also bound together, but unfortunately in a far more tragic way um, because, you know, at the time, 1992, this match we've been watching, this was the rivalry. This was This was what people were coming to tennis for, I suppose, and yet... With the you know with the with the hindsight that we have now in 2020, it's it's the what if rivalry, it's the what could have been, and how how tragic that such a such a horrible incident changed obviously Monica selesh's life in the way that it did, and and also the sport.
1: Mm. Uh, I did also speak further to to Heinz Gunthardt, coach of Steffi Graf at that time, to ask what sort of effect it had had on her because obviously there's this fan who's claiming to be a fan of hers and trying to put her back at the top of the game not something she would have ever wanted to have happened and she said that they had a conversation and uh, and he said that they had a conversation and and he he told her look you can't you can't control this you didn't ask for this you you've got to just carry on and and not feel guilty for this is is the gist of what I got from it because that's the thing isn't it I mean it would be so hard to to take I think if 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 you were in that position I mean and she she obviously managed to 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 do it sufficiently in order to to play effective tennis and he actually said you know I think one of the things she loved to do was to play tennis, Steffi Graf, and and it, and therefore, when there were stressful moments in her life, her father was imprisoned for tax evasion. She'd get out onto the tennis court and just concentrate on hitting the balls, and that happened as well in this case.
5: For me, the the most eerie. Um, Part of that conversation you had with with Heinz Guntart actually was was your question to him, your your follow up that that actually he won, didn't he? He achieved his aim. The the, uh, the uh, well, I don't want to name him really. Um, the the offender, the guy that stabbed Monica Seles. because as you say, he was a deranged Steffi Graf fan, and he wanted to stop her rival in her tracks in order to. To assist Steffi in in victory, and he succeeded in that. Um, and I know something that that Mary talked about as well is we don't want to get into the legalities of it, but that that he didn't he didn't he only faced a suspended jail sentence, and that was something that Celeste that herself found extremely difficult to to come to terms with um, and I think probably arrested and prevented her, her mental recovery from it for, for quite some time, possibly still. But that is hard to stomach, isn't it? That, that he succeeded in what he was setting out to do.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I have no idea now how Monica Sellis looks back on this particular match and I've never heard her talk about it. It was obviously pre that incident. I've I've seen her interviewed, and read interviews, and read her book uh, many times about the the struggle she had and and trying to take heart from the recovery she made from all of it. And and she now does seem such a positive person, um, which which I'm really pleased to see. But I I hope that she takes great pleasure from the tennis. That we've just witnessed. I hope that she could still watch that and and be uplifted by what she brought to to the sport because it was immense. And uh, and I I feel privileged to have just been able to watch it with you both. To be honest, um, oh, it's it's been a pleasure. I'm
5: going to dig out all my old ice skating scrunchies.
6: <laughs> oh, I can't do that.
5: <laughs> Your hair is almost long, long enough to warrant it, though, Matt. I
1: oh, know. Yeah, worrying. You've almost got the Steffi Graf fringe going on there, Matt.
5: (laughs) I can't believe she used to do sport with that fringe. Extraordinary. She
1: sure did. She sure did. So what a a treat that was to witness. Hope you've enjoyed uh, reliving uh, that one with us as well here on the Tennis Podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with another one. We're going back to 1997, aren't we? I'm alive. (laughs) Hey, Matt's alive. And so is Brazil in the tennis world, because we're going back to when Gustavo Guga Curtin arrived on the scene. Can't wait to 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 witness that again because I I kind of that kind of passed me by a little bit at the time because uh, it was my second year working at Queens and when the two were back to back I would have been there at the qualifying weekend at Queens and I remember seeing out the corner of my eye this guy in blue and yellow playing and winning uh, on the TV screen and
5: we've navigated through the lost law years we're back on safe yeah. ground now David <laughs> until Wimbledon
1: this is when I'd regrouped folks (laughs) and uh, figured it all out Uh, this life thing of mine and uh, found found my way into a tennis tournament yes Um, so yeah we're, we're looking forward to that we'll be speaking to Guga as well which is just a treat to think that we'll have him here with us on the tennis podcast tomorrow for Roland Garros Relived we've also got free postage in the UK from our shop on Friday, Saturday and Sunday if you'd like to get something from that we've got our I Miss Tennis t-shirts for sale with uh, all profits going from that to the COVID-19 global response from the uh, World Health Organization. Uh, But for now on Run and Garrosh Relived and us on the Tennis Podcast, thanks very much for listening. Do tell your friends if you think they might like to listen to the show and we'll speak to you tomorrow.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.